17. And I shall read to you. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 to verse 17. Verse 10. Have you not all one Father? Has not one God created you, us? What then? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, whom he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob and any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let, let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Verse 17, You have worried the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we worried him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us look to God in prayer and seek for his blessing before the preaching of the word. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, once again for your word, once again for giving us the, this privilege of being able to gather around your word and to listen or to the preaching of your word. Again, Lord, we pray, be pleased to empower the preacher, Lord, to bring your word, that he may bring your word to your people in all clarity and in conviction. Pray for the, for the hearers, for the church, as she gathers around your word, that you will be pleased to grant us a ears to hear, Lord, a heart to receive, that we may, an eye to see, that we may behold your wondrous truth in your word, that your word may even take root in our lives, that it may bring forth much fruit for your glory. Help us, O Lord, for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the last time we studied Malachi, we looked at Malachi address problems pertaining to the worship in a covenant community. Specifically, we, what we looked at was how it relates to the priests, that is the spiritual leaders, and what are the qualifications and duties of a spiritual leader among the people of God. Today, we are going to look at the third address of Malachi's uh, 
message to the people of God this morning. Now, in his third address, Malachi seeks to do one important thing. He seeks to uncover the spiritual ailment of the people, the core spiritual ailment of the people. Why are the people in such a bad shape in Malachi's day? Why are the spiritual leaders? Why are they in a bad shape? So in this address, Malachi seeks to uncover the core problem. And what is that core problem? Our text gives us a hint. In fact, tell us directly what is the core problem then. The core problem is faithless or faithlessness. This keyword occurs five times in our text and only here in Malachi. And what does faithlessness or faithless means? It means to deal with another treacherously, disloyally, and falsely. It also means to breach one's trust and failure to keep one's promise. Again, I'd like to remind, I'd like to highlight this point to you that today's passage carries with it twofold difficulty. It's a very hard passage to study and even to uh, preach from, but it's, it's God's word. And Bible scholars tell us that this is one of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament to translate. Only seven verses, but it's one of the most challenging passages for Bible scholars to translate from Hebrew into English. Now, when you compare the ESV with other English versions like the KJV, the NKJV, and even the NIV, you will see some notable differences, especially from verses 15 and 16. Now, rest assured, no major doctrines are put in question in the different translations. And as I will be using the ESV, I will be sticking with the text that is given to us by the ESV. Now, if you are using other translations, feel free to use that and do take note of the differences and you study them. Study the differences between the different versions, how they translate this passage into English because the Hebrew can actually mean either way. Now the second difficulty is we are about to touch on some quite delicate topics and issues that is relationships. That is because your relationship are very personal. And we hear the prophet Malachi speaks into issues of betrayal, of divorce, of marriage, and more importantly, of our relationship with God. Now, these are personal and sensitive matters. But God's word reaches into every nook and corner of our lives, and He leaves no stone unturned. 
So we need eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are true and tender to receive God's word. God helping, we'll look at faithless to one another, faithless to God, and faithless in marriage, as gleaned from the scripture this morning. First of all, we will look at faithless to one another. We read of that in verse 10. Now this may be the precursor to the issue of faithlessness in marriage. And it certainly covers that. However, when you compare scripture with scripture, especially with the contemporary writings of Malachi, i.e. the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, another scenario arose. And Malachi may be addressing the sad incident of the oppression of the poor, of faithlessness to one another in Nehemiah chapter 5. We remember we have, I preached through the book of Nehemiah before. I hope you remember. And we read in Nehemiah chapter 5 how the poor of the land have mortgaged their farms and their houses to the rich in a time of a famine to get by. Now the rich charges an interest on their loan to their fellow brothers, which is already against the law of God. Fellow Jews are not supposed to charge interest to one another. Yes, they may trust interest to a foreigner, but not and never to their own brothers and sisters of the flesh. And when the poor could not repay their loans, when the time is out for them to pay their loan, the rich go ahead to enslave their sons and daughters as a form of repayment of their loan. This is outrageous and treacherous, isn't it? They are the children of Abraham, and they are the people of God, and they are bound to one another by blood and by covenant. By oppressing the poor, the people of God have profaned the covenant of God, which He made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And again, they are breaking the law of God as well. And sadly, we read in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 12, that the priests, the spiritual leaders of the people of God, are among the culprits. Now all receive a sounding rebuke and admonition from Nehemiah. They are exhorted to make things right with one another. And since the priests, the spiritual leaders, have failed the people, Nehemiah takes the lead and leads the way back, leads the people way back to God. Now what a godly and exemplary leader we have in Nehemiah. Now, dear brothers and sisters in Christ and members of the covenant community, faithlessness to one another 
whether in oppressing one another or betraying one trust, ought not to be named among us. The scriptures tell us that we are to love, to be kind, and to bear with one another, etc. Many long time ago, I did a short series on one another in the scriptures. I hope you can remember again. And, and we had the opportunity then to look at some of them. I remember they are now up, they are actually up to 59 commands in scriptures on how to and how not, how not to relate to one another. 59 of them. Now, if you just do one, one another per week, you need not to handle 59 at one go. If you just practice one, one another per week, you have enough one another's to practice in a year. And you can rerun the cycle again the next year. Just one a week is enough for us to begin with. But like the people of God of old, and even better, we are bound to one another by and in the blood of the new covenant of Christ. We are not, yes, we are not related to each other by blood, but we are bound together as one people in the blood of the new covenant of Christ. We speak of better promises than the old. However, we often bite and devour one another in one way or another, don't we? Last, maybe last three weeks and the weeks to come, uh, there's this row of floating, floating trees along Queen, opposite Queensway Shopping Centre. Floating mango trees are in season. And all the parakeets, all the parrots come in droves to have the makan, have the mango feast of their life. And of course the birders like me would like to go to a particular building on the fourth floor where we can see them at eye level and we can even capture them having a feast, a mango buffet of their life. But interestingly, although there are so many mangoes, I don't know whether they are nice or not, but there are so many mangoes on the tree and on many trees, yet they keep fighting for one particular fruit. They will bite one another, they will chase one another away from a few particular fruits. Where there's so much to share among them. I don't understand why they biting one another, even chasing one another away. Neither can I understand why the church people are doing the same thing too. I think you cannot also you cannot understand why are there so much bickering, so much quarrels within the body of Christ. But it is, in a sense, part of the words and all of the church. Remember, we are the blood-bought church of Christ. We are purchased with none other than the blood of Christ. We are to love one another as Christ loves us and give himself for our sin. And in this, by this, shall all men know that we are Christ's disciples 
when we love one another in the Lord. Yes, there will be occasions when we, have, we must speak the truth in, or give an admonition to one another. But let us do it in love and in humility. And to take heed lest we fall into the same sin. Now we have looked at faithless to one another briefly. We shall now look at faithless to God. And Malachi highlighted three ways in which the people of God have been faithless to the Lord. The first way is they are offering polluted offerings to the Lord. We have read it earlier on in chapter 1, verse 6 to 14. It is repeated again for us in verse 11a. You see, they have profaned the sanctuary of God, which He loves, which the God loves, by offering polluted and substandard offerings to God. Yes, they bring their offerings to the Lord to be Lord. But yet they bring the spoiled ones, the crippled ones, the speckled ones. This is a clear breaking of God's commandment. It shows their heart, actually, how much they care and how much they love the God whom they profess to love and honour. It is also the tip of the iceberg of their faithlessness to God. Beneath the iceberg of bringing a, a polluted and substandard offerings to God lies the huge chunk of their heart, where they despise the Lord's table and they also show their contempt to the things of God and sadly to God Himself. How terrible to hold the things that God loves and God Himself in contempt. There is this deep-seated faithlessness in the people of God down through the ages. And the Lord has chastised them by sending them into exile some 140 years ago. A random had returned to the Promised Land 70 years later to rebuild the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and also the walls of Jerusalem subsequently. We would have thought that they had learned their lessons. They did not. The scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 9, verse 8 and 10, and it shall read to you. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord, our God, to leave us a random and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. In verse 10, Ezra sadly proclaimed and say, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. God has them, left them a random, and favor has been shown to them, yet they persist on in their sin. They continue to break the very same commandment which the Lord has instructed them to do, which the Lord has chastised them for. Now, are we not the same? And are the people of God of old, we are bent on faithlessness to God. The telltale signs are everywhere. I'll just highlight two. Attendance to worship service, 
and also prayer meeting are down for a start. The Lord loves the gates of Jerusalem more than all the dwellings of Judah because his worshippers will enter in through those gates. But we don't value worship as the Lord has valued, don't we? Our Lord loves the prayer, loves to hear the prayer and cries of his people. But we do not make it a priority to come to the prayer meeting to give thanks to God and to supplicate for one another and for the church. You see, we do not love the things that God loves. Instead, we love those things that God hates. And these are but the tip of the iceberg. You know the huge chunk of your spiritual faithlessness beneath the tip of the iceberg better than anyone else. So the call is to stop offering polluted offerings to the Lord and turn from your faithlessness to God. Now the second way is by marrying the daughters of a foreign god. We read of that in verse 11b. Now the issue is not with daughters of foreign nations, with non-Jewish people. Now there are many non-Jewish women who had married into the people of God. You think of Zipporah, you think of Rahab, and also Ruth. Who knows who is, who knows who is Zipporah? If you do not know this person, please check it out. Few people mention her name. These are all foreign women who have married into the people of God. The main issue is they are the daughters of a foreign God. That is the main issue. They are the unbelievers. And they are great potential, great spiritual potential for the unbelieving spouse to lead the believing spouse away from the Lord. So to sign off on a union with an unbeliever who worships and serves an idol is to invite rampant idolatry among God's holy people. This seems to be part of what's happening as Malachi writes. We see the great tragic example of the wisest man on earth, King Solomon and his 1,000 wives and concubines who worship a foreign god. We need not to repeat this part of the story. We all know it very well. Ezra, in his address, highlighted this to the people of God. Look at King Solomon, the greatest king after King David. The greatest king that Israel ever had, the wisest man on earth, yet he did the most foolish things by marrying. Of course, 1,000 wives is a very foolish thing to do, but by marrying 1,000 wives of foreign gods. And when he was old, his wife led him away from the Lord. I think I've shared this story before. I'd like to share it again. I know of a sister in Christ many years ago. He, the husband there was a believer, 
but later backslided and uh, forsake the religion of the Lord. And when, after their marriage, she, since I married to the man, continues on, follow the man's religion, and backslided from the Lord for many, many years. And she was a teacher, but she is still a teacher, a primary school teacher. And one of the important, I think she was teaching PSLE year. She purposefully went to a temple to pray for a student. As she was praying, she signed off her prayer to, in the temple with Amen. Imagine you are praying and suddenly you sign off the word with Amen. And that Amen sends her back to God. She realized something has not only gone wrong, and indeed gone very wrong for many years. She went back to the church to worship God in a church in the western part of Singapore. Although her husband now followed, she sought to bring her children back to church again, and thankfully, she's still worshipping in that church with her children, grown-up children already. But that is tragic, but yet, the Lord is faithful and merciful to bring her back with the Amen, with the Amen. I think the first Amen ever uttered in the temple in the history of the world. Now, the final way of faithfulness to God is by being cynical to God's word. Read of that in verse 17. Now, the context to understand verse 17 is important. You see, despite the peoples of God, many efforts, blessings are not forthcoming. The people of God have labored hard at rebuilding the temple, the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. They labor hard to rebuild their homes, their lands. But the enemies of the people of God are as strong as ever. In fact, stronger. They have already encroached into the province of Judea itself. They are living within them. They are being oppressed, economically speaking, and also politically speaking, by the ungodly people around them. And they are serving as servants to the ungodly Persian Empire. So they become cynical to God's word and skeptical at his promises. So cynical, skeptical comes hand in hand. Okay. They are skeptical of God's promises. And so they ask, where is the God of justice? There's no justice in the world. Come on, my enemy, the ungodly man is prospering and I'm languishing. This is why it's the back of their mind. And why does he who does evil prosper? And the goodly and the goody people like me of God languish. Why the ungodly guy in my company who deal with his customer dishonestly got get the promotion and me who write who not, do not even take a piece of paper back home to use? I'm always given the pass in any promotion. Why, why, why? But this is really a typical case of blame shifting. 
unwilling to examine ourselves and themselves. Now they lay the blame for their dire circumstances to God. They are more willing to say that God is unjust than to admit their sin, their faithlessness. And their sin and their faithlessness cause God to withhold His showers of blessing upon them. They are expecting God to bless them to whom they hold in contempt. This is ridiculous, right? They are expecting, they are expecting God, the God to whom they hold in contempt to bless them. There's nothing ridiculous with God. We shall see later how the Lord's God's grace surpasses even our sin and do the most ridiculous things on earth. Yet, now the Christians of the 21st century is infected with signism as well. One common mode is, I love Jesus but not the church. Right? It's a very common thing to say. People are skeptical and cynical with the church. But they love Jesus, they say. Now that Christian may have been stumbled by the church and her members in one way or another. And they, became, they become jaded and even skeptical of the establishment and authority of the church. Their usual grievances are, there are many hypocrites in the church. There are many fighting in the church. They will just take Jesus, but not church and not church life. They will either grace us the Sunday worship service or skip it altogether. They will worship Christ at home, they say. But such cynical attitude towards the church, the body of Christ, is contrary to what Christ and the scripture speaks about the church. The church is the glorious body of Christ. And the scriptures has warned us not to forsake the public assembling of believers. And also we are being instructed by the scriptures to serve one another in the body of Christ. Yes, the church is full of warts and all. And the worship leader chooses unfamiliar and hard to sing hymns in public worship. However, the question to ask to better our skeptical and cynical attitude are, have we prepared to worship the Lord by having adequate rest the night before? And have we prayed for the worship leader and the preacher? In short, have you prayed for the church? What is the value of church in your life? Especially at this time, such as this. How do you value the church in your life, in your heart? We have looked at faithless to one another and to God. We shall now look briefly at faithless to the wife of our youth or faithless in marriage. Now we read in verse 13 that God has no regard for their worship even though they have been very devoted and pious in their worship. 
The reasons are that the people of God are divorcing their wives of their youth. Apparently, maybe some, some of the Bible scholars suggest that they do so in order to marry the daughters of foreign gods. Polygamy is something is common, but not common among God's people. So they have to let go one wife to marry another wife. Then they are faithless to their spouse by breaking the covenant of love, by divorcing them. It is a serious matter. Because God is a witness to their covenant of love. Thus, when a couple are married in the Lord, and when they exchange their marriage vows, they are calling upon God and the people present to be their witness. It is no nothing matter to call upon God to be your witness. Now, what are the reasons for the people of God in Malachi time for breaking their marriage covenants with their wives of their youth? Their first love, their first darling. Why? The scripture of this is where ESV comes in. The text from ESV differ from that of uh, the KJV and the NI, uh, NKJV. But I shall stick to uh, ESV. The text tells us that because they hate their wife and they put her, and he put her away in verse 16 or 15 now how why how love can turn into hate is a long story we will not deal with here but hatred is never a ground for divorce now i know some of you will say didn't Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 to verse 4 says, have this part whereby men can put away their wife because they hate her, because he hates her. No, the text seemingly suggests that hatred or hate or is a ground for divorce. No, the text didn't say that. The text only described a scenario. It is not there to prescribe something for us to follow. In the description of a scenario. Actually, the main idea of the text there is to uh, is a law against sexual immorality, not so much on divorce and that is, let's say, in the West, it always happened. Uh, two parties divorce, they marry with other parties, and then later they decide to dump their new partners, and then they want to come together. It is clearly forbidden in God's law. Once you are remarried to other parties, there's no way you can come together again, though you love each other very much, so to speak. But no, hatred is never a ground for a divorce. The scripture only gives us two other grounds. One is infidelity and the other one is desertion, willful desertion. But even that, even that I say, what God put asunder, let no man put what God put together, let no man put asunder. It's, if issues does arrive, the couples have to work things out. They have to work things very hard to get the marriage going again, even when there's issues. 
such as these two that are listed for us in the scripture as grounds for divorce. But what are the, what are the reasons? Again, when we compare scripture with scripture, especially the book of Nehemiah, it is not hard for us to see that the people of God are divorcing their spouse to marry the daughters of foreign gods for two other reasons. Very sadly, they are willing to sacrifice their marriage for two other reasons. The two reasons are economic and political expediency. I hope you remember the story, the narrative in Nehemiah. We have gone done that before. Because of business as well as political reasons, they are giving they are marrying each other, the nations of around Israel. And again, the priests, the spiritual leaders, are among the culprits for economical as well as for political expediency. Now, they have rewritten marriage according to the culture and practice of their time. It is common in those days to forge alliances among people. We give our daughters in, and our sons and daughters into marriage and to marry, and to marry into each other's family. And that's for, the, for mutual benefit. Therefore, Malachi reminded them, reminded them in verse 15 that marriage is a creation ordinance and it's for three purposes. It's for partnership for life, for procreation of a godly seed. And I may add also one more, for protection from sexual immorality. Okay, remember, three peace for those who are preparing to get married. Three Ps, partnership for life, procreation of a godly seed, and lastly, protection from sexual immorality. But the people of God persist in their sinful ways and the hardness of their heart by being faithless to their spouse. And verse 16 tells us that The man who does that would not be able to cover up their violence, divorcing or leaving the spouse and the wife of your youth is a violent act. Even the cloth cannot cover up this cover this uh, violent act of haste. The world have rewritten the creation ordinance of marriage according to our whims and fancies. On the one hand, they take the world, the world take marriage and divorce as a very light thing. Happy we marry. Unhappy we divorce. And in our Singapore context, I've heard something very this disturbing that there are people who enter the marriage just because they wanted to get in a BTO flat and want to catch up on the BTO flat. 
subsequently, so they go, they divorce each other. Maybe MPE have more story to tell us about this sort of things. They get into marriage just to get a BTO flat, and then they leave marriage just to cash out the BTO flat. Judging jaw drop to the floor. This was happening in the world today. Of course, in the first place, the world don't even believe in marriage anymore. But now they also want to enter into something called civic partnership. They want to have some kind of contractual uh, obligation to one another, even though they are not legally married. So they still want to get back into the ordinance of marriage in some other form. But sadly, the church and large segment of the professing Christendom have also rewritten the creation ordinance of marriage according to their whims and fancies. The liberal and apostate churches are forsaking the very foundation of marriage that is between one man and one woman for life. And to keep up with the times, they are allowing same-sex marriage in their churches now. You will come to Singapore soon. We are still playing the catch-up game with the West. But it will come to us soon. Same-sex marriage in the church. Oh, may the Lord preserve us. May the Lord protect us from this evil age. Let's look at our children. They will be the ones who face the brunt, the tsunami, so to speak. Let us pray and nurture them in the way of the Lord that they can stand strong, stand firm when the testing comes. Now what shall we say to these things? First of all, repent from your faithlessness. If we say we have not been faithless, you are deceiving yourselves. I'm deceiving myself. I have been faithless to one another, to God, and also to the wife of my youth in one way or another. No, maybe not in a major way, but yes, our straying eyes is a way where we have been faithless to our spouse. And our lethargicness in coming before the Lord in worship is a way of faithlessness to God. And when I talk behind someone's back, I've been faithless to one another in the Lord. These are just very simple ways where we have been faithless to one another, to God and to, the, to our spouse. And yes, we need to repent, turn from our sin. That's what Jeremiah 3, 22-23 exhort the people of God then to do, to turn from their sin, turn from their evil ways, and turn back to the Lord. Secondly, we are to resolve. We have to be resolved to serve the Lord faithfully. That is a, again, I, earlier on I mentioned that we have to resolve to keep the Sabbath day holy. This resolution is 
something very difficult for us to do. It goes contrary to our flesh to be resolved to do something. We resolve to go on a diet, but the day never comes because our resolution is always weak. Or, just, or we just wear it on our mouth. But no, we have to resolve in our heart and our mind, even our body, to serve the Lord faithfully like the faithful steward. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. To be faithful, steward of the Lord. Resolve. Yes, left to ourselves, we can't do anything at all. Again, left to ourselves, there's no way where we can repent from our sin, nor can we resolve to serve the Lord faithfully. But we have Christ. And we can, we, we can rejoice in our God who is faithful. We are the unfaithful ones. We are the one who is faithless. But God is faithful. Faithful to His promises. Faithful to the covenant which I have made. With Christ and in Christ, we, have, we can rejoice in God. Again, left to ourselves, there's nothing we can do. But we can rejoice in the Lord because He can help us and He will help us to turn from our sin and to be resolved to serve Him faithfully. See, we are the faithless one. And the last verses or the last few verses in our in chapter 3 speaks of a curse a curse being laid to the people who have, break, have broken God's law. But on Christ, on Calvary's tree, Christ took upon that curse for us. Christ was made curse for us. We are the one who are supposed to be cursed by the judgment of God. But Christ became our curse on the cross. And all who comes to Him, not because we are good enough, but because Christ has been made curse for us. We can have salvation in God. We can be exempted from the day of judgment because Christ has paid it all. Yes, we are faithless. God is faithful. And let us return to the Lord. Let us resolve to serve the Lord faithfully. And let us remember to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in His faithfulness. Rejoice in in His covenant faithfulness through all generations. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you Lord once again for giving us a time whereby we can come to listen to your word. Again Lord, we pray and we plead that you'll be pleased to plant your word deeply in our hearts. They may even take root and it may bring forth much fruit for your glory. Help us Lord. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.